Hello and welcome back to the Fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode 17 called The Battle for the East. In the last episode, we discussed how Aurelian set about restoring the Roman Empire, which had collapsed into three parts by AD 270, Palmyra in the east, the Gallic Empire in the west, and what remained of the Roman Empire proper in Italy, the Balkans and North Africa. But even this last survival part of the empire was under dire threat until, as we heard in the last episode, Aurelian defeated a German invasion of Italy by the Jutungi tribe and also fought a campaign against the Goths who were threatening the Balkans, pushing them back over the Danube. He then made a very important decision to evacuate Dacia, which was a big chunk of land north of the Danube, which the Emperor Trajan had conquered nearly 170 years before. This was important because it shortened the Roman line of defences in the Balkans very significantly and freed up a lot of troops for his next major campaign against Palmyra in the east, which had conquered basically most of the eastern half of the Roman Empire, and whose troops were advancing rapidly into Anatolia towards the Bosphorus itself. But before we start the exciting story of Aurelian's war against Palmyra, which I think was his greatest military triumph. Let me just read an extract from Edward Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire on another of Aurelian's great achievements, which was to build a set of walls around Rome. Indeed, the first walls since the Servian walls have been built around 650 years previously. And by the way, these walls are marvellously well preserved today. And if you go to Rome, I strongly recommend going to see some of them. And you can actually walk for miles along them if you want. So let me read from Edward Gibbon. Quote, the experience of the past and the dread of the future induced Aurelian to construct fortifications around Rome. The seven hills of Rome had been surrounded by the successors of Romulus with an ancient wall of more than 13 miles. The vast enclosure may seem disproportionate to the strength and numbers of the infant state, but it was necessary to secure an ample extent of pasture and arable land against the frequent and sudden incursions of the tribes of Latium, who were the perpetual enemies of the Republic. With the progress of Roman greatness, the city and its inhabitants greatly increased filled up the vacant space, pierced through the useless walls, covered the field of Mars, and on every side followed the public highways in long and beautiful suburbs. The extent of the new walls built by Aurelian and finished in the reign of Probus was magnified by popular estimation to be near to 50 miles, but this is reduced by accurate measurement to about 21 miles. It was a great but a melancholy labour, since the defences of the capital betrayed the decline of the empire. The Romans of a more prosperous age, who trusted to the arms of the legions to protect them, were very far from entertaining a suspicion that it would ever become necessary to fortify the capital of the empire against the inroads of the barbarians. End quote. Now let's turn to the story of Aurelian's great campaign against Palmyra. Hope you enjoy it. 
While the Romans had been fighting the Germans and Goths, Palmyra had taken full advantage of Rome's weak position in the east. When its capable ruler, Odonathus, was assassinated in 267, his queen, Zenobia, assumed full control of government, acting as regent for her 10-year-old son, Vabalathus. Zenobia decided that, with the Roman Empire disintegrating, now was the right time to assert Palmyran independence. In 270, a Palmyran army invaded the Roman province of Arabia, which consisted principally of the Sinai Peninsula. The Roman garrison legion, the third Cyrenaica, was routed and its provincial capital, Bostra, captured, in which the legion's principal temple to Zeus Ammon was destroyed as a sign that Roman rule had been well and truly overthrown. The Palmyran army under the command of Zabdas marched into Roman Egypt in late 270, just when the Roman Emperor Claudius Gothicus died of the plague. Egypt was one of Rome's most important provinces, especially highly valued since it was vital to the supply of grain to Rome itself. Consequently, it was well defended and had a large fleet, which at that moment was away fighting the the Heruli in the Aegean. Zenobia had chosen her timing well, and the absence of the Roman fleet allowed the Palmyran army to seize Alexandria and defeat the legionary garrison at a city called Babylon to the south of the Nile Delta. The Roman commander called Probus, who was not the future emperor of the same name, committed suicide. With Egypt secured and most of Syria, including the great city of Antioch, already in Palmyran hands, Zenobia directed her general Zabdas north into Cilicia. The Palmyran advance continued into western Anatolia, uh, which is of course modern-day Turkey, with the capture of Ankara. But further west, the Roman forces were able to hang on. Bithynia and the cities of Chalcedon and Cyzicus resisted the Palmyrans. The Roman forces prevented the Palmyrans from reaching the Straits of the Bosphorus. This was to prove especially valuable for Aurelian, since he still had a bridgehead into Asia from which to launch his counterattack against Palmyra. The Palmyran Empire had now reached its greatest extent by early 272, at exactly the moment that Aurelian was ready to launch his eastern offensive. At first, as Aurelian's army crossed the Bosphorus in April 272, its advance through Anatolia was relatively easy. The Palmyran garrisons in Ankara and the other cities of western Anatolia simply withdrew. Only at Tyana was there any resistance. But the way in which Aurelian dealt with this proved to be a turning point in his quest to win back popular support for Rome against Palmyra. 
For although he was initially furious with the resistance of the inhabitants of Tyana against him, after the city surrendered, he took the surprising step of stopping his soldiers from sacking it and massacring its inhabitants. Instead, he ordered his troops to leave it and its inhabitants unharmed. This was a dangerous thing to do, since soldiers typically regarded the loot from captured cities as one of their main rewards. Indeed, Posthumus, the leader of the Gallic Empire in the West, had recently been lynched by his own troops for stopping them from sacking Mainz, which had rebelled against him. And Aurelian was in real danger of a repeat of this, for his troops did in fact round on him, reminding him that he had initially said that he would not leave even a dog alive in the city for daring to resist him. One of the surviving Roman sources says that he skillfully turned this into a joke by telling them, quote, I did indeed decree that no dog should be allowed to live. Well then, kill all the dogs, end quote. His soldiers were apparently pleased by the joke. Perhaps more likely they were also well aware that Palmyra was still a very dangerous enemy and that if they were to survive they needed a commander of Aurelian's calibre to lead them. For Zenobia had certainly not given up. She was in fact conducting a strategic withdrawal to shorten her long lines of communication and to concentrate her forces in Syria where she hoped to deal the Romans a decisive defeat closer to home. Having sacrificed Anatolia to Aurelian, she also sacrificed control of Egypt back to the Romans without a fight. For Aurelian's eastern offensive involved both a land campaign through Anatolia and also a simultaneous naval attack on Egypt by his trusted general Aurelius Probus who was, in this case, the future emperor. Probus's fleet landed in Egypt in May 272. Again, the Palmyran forces withdrew. By June 272, Alexandria and the whole of Egypt had been recaptured. Meanwhile, on the northern flank of the Palmyran Empire, by May 272, Aurelian's army had crossed Anatolia and was ready to advance on the city of Antioch. However, the Palmyrans had now finished their strategic withdrawal and were ready and waiting for him. The decisive battle was about to be fought. Zenobia's highly capable and experienced general Zabdas amassed most of the Palmyran army just north of Antioch in the Orontes plain. Zabdas was expecting Aurelian to launch a head-on attack to push the Palmyrans back and take Antioch. But Aurelian rightly assumed that Zabdas was hoping for this because he could then use the Palmyran corps of heavy cavalry called cataphracts to smash the advancing Roman army in a fairly flat area north of Antioch, ideal for the cataphracts manoeuvres. These cataphracts were the elite unit of the Palmyran army the 3rd century equivalent of tanks in the 20th century, and very similar to the Sasanian Persian cataphracts, which had proved to be more than a match for the Roman legionaries time and again in the 3rd century. 
Now, Aurelian was well aware that his infantry and even his excellent cavalry would be swept aside by the power of the cataphract's charge over the flat ground north of Antioch. So, in order not to walk into this Palmyran trap, he decided to outflank the enemy and to attack the rear of the Palmyran army from the east. He did this knowing that the eastern approach lay through hillier terrain, much less suited to a cavalry charge by the formidable cataphracts. When the Palmyran general Zabdas was told that Aurelian's army was outflanking him, he still wanted to use the cataphracts, which were his only trump card. So instead of sending infantry to block the Roman advance, he sent the majority of the cataphracts to meet the Romans on the Antioch-Baroa road. Baroa was where modern Aleppo is today. And he calculated that even if the terrain was less well suited to the heavily armoured horsemen, they would still be able to teach the Romans a lesson. Although Aurelian had succeeded in drawing the cataphracts away from their favoured flat ground north of Antioch, he still thought they had the advantage over his infantry and cavalry. So, just as he and the Emperor Claudius had done in the past to secure the defeat of the Goths at the crucial Battle of Nasus in 269, he decided to set a trap for the Palmyrans. Close to the village of Imai, he led his cavalry out in front of the Palmyran cataphracts and tried to lure them into charging. It was a hot morning in late May or early June, and the Palmyran cataphracts were sweating in their heavy armour. Indeed, the word the Romans used to describe the cataphracts was clibinarius, meaning camp oven in Greek, since the heavy armour of these soldiers became unbearably hot in the sun, and that was exactly what they were feeling as they surveyed enviously the more lightly armed Romans. With the heat draining their energy, the cataphracts couldn't resist charging the Roman cavalry, which they knew they could beat in hand-to-hand combat. But what they hadn't expected was a trap. In a carefully orchestrated manoeuvre, the Roman horsemen didn't engage but fled. They fled for several kilometres with the cataphracts in hot pursuit. Then, when the camp ovens were getting overheated, so to speak, with both horses and men exhausted, the Romans halted, lined up and counterattacked. The cataphracts were caught out of formation and the ferocity of the Roman attack overwhelmed them. Horses and men panicked. Apparently the cataphracts tired chargers through their riders as much as the Romans were able to unhorse them. Aurelian's plan had worked perfectly. The Roman cavalry had displayed perfect discipline, courage and coordination. They had proved yet again that they were probably the best horsemen in the world and the architect of Rome's recovery. It was no coincidence that it had been Claudius and Aurelian who had spent years training them. Meanwhile, the Palmyrian general Zabdas was shocked. Most of his cataphract corps had perished in this battle. His hopes of defeating the Romans in a pitch battle had been shattered. 
But he still had a substantial army, with many horse archers as well as infantry. There were also more cataphracts stationed closer to Palmyra itself. Therefore, Zenobia ordered him to retreat and to prepare for another battle to save Palmyra itself. But Zabdes was worried that too obvious a Palmyran withdrawal from Antioch would not only cause panic among his own men, but provoke the Romans into another attack. So he came up with a clever plan. He found a man who roughly resembled Aurelian in age and build, and dressing him in Roman armour, he paraded him through the streets of Antioch as if he had captured the Roman emperor. The inhabitants of Antioch were suitably impressed and cheered their Palmyran masters. Meanwhile, that night, the Palmyran army struck camp and retreated under the cover of darkness. The next morning, the inhabitants of Antioch awoke to find them gone. There was panic in the city. Those who had supported Zenobia the most vociferously fled, fearing for their lives at the hands of the Romans. On hearing of the Palmyran retreat, Aurelian marched into the third largest city in the empire and reclaimed it for Rome. Then, just as he had done at the city of Tyana, he announced a pardon for all those who had been involved in supporting the Palmyrans. He announced that he regarded the inhabitants of Antioch not as treacherous, but as having acted against their better judgment under duress. His clemency was a masterstroke of genius, as brilliant as his tactics had been at the Battle of Imai just a couple of days before, for those who had fled the city returned and threw themselves at his feet, swearing their lifelong loyalty. With a stable and grateful populace at Antioch, Aurelian could now turn to the final phase of his campaign, the destruction of Palmyra. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. And as usual, if you did, I'd be really delighted if you wanted to subscribe, tell a friend or leave a review. That would be fantastic. Thank you. And in the next episode, we'll continue with the story of Aurelian's war against Palmyra. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Music.